I'll invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 28. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 835. I want to encourage you, please keep your Bibles open throughout our message today. Our passage will be Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Let's turn our attention again to the reading of God's holy, living, and inerrant word. Matthew writes, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me there. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for this enduring word which proclaims He is risen from the dead. He is not here. He is not in this tomb. He is not among the dead, but he is among the living. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life, and that whoever believes and lives in you will never die, but will see eternal life. Lord, we thank you for these enduring words, Lord. Lord, now we pray that you would open our eyes to see you, as being the high and lofty one, the resurrected Christ. Open our hearts and open our eyes to be able to see you as such, we pray. Amen. Well, I read an article and later watched a video this week by PCA pastor Tim Keller and his wife Kathy, also a fine author and Bible teacher, And in this article and in the video that I saw, they they spoke about the resurrection of Jesus and about how the resurrection is a verifiable event. They talked about how we're living in an era that could almost be called a post-truth or a post-fact era, where people are rejecting the notion of there being verifiable facts. Francis Schaeffer talked about true truths. And that concept of true truth is under considerable attack these days in this time of people holding to what are sometimes referred to as 
alternate facts. But as someone once famously said, while you're entitled to your own opinion, you are not entitled to your own facts. Christianity is based upon true truth. Christianity has its basis in real, verifiable, historic facts. And center to those facts is the life, death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ did not live, if Jesus Christ were not crucified on the cross for our sins, if Jesus Christ was not truly bodily raised from the dead, then we are without any hope. The Apostle Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 19, saying, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And we of all people are to be pitied. That's how central the truthfulness and the factualness of the resurrection is to the Christian faith. If there is no actual bodily resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope for anyone who would believe that there is. Fortunately for us and for all those who do believe in the Lord Jesus, there's great reason for hope. For behold, Jesus has been risen from the dead. We learn that from our passage this morning and from so much more of the New Testament. Our faith is not a blind faith. But the Christian faith is founded upon the truthfulness and verifiable reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Lord has been kind to us to prove that. We don't have to believe in the resurrection as a leap of blind faith. But the resurrection of Jesus is a verifiable fact. And we see that in our passage. The women were going to the tomb. You might remember that because of the Sabbath. And that year there was a kind of special double Sabbath because of the Passover celebration. After his crucifixion, Christ's loved ones didn't have time to give him the kind of burial rites that were typical of that day. Which included anointing the body in a special way with an assortment of spices. The other resurrection accounts of the gospel in those were told that the, that the women were going to the tomb to do that very thing. To anoint his body with these spices. And in Mark's account, we read Matthew's account this morning. In Mark's account of the resurrection, he even talks about how the women as they were going to the tomb, they even wondered, they talked among themselves, wait a second. How are we going to get that stone moved away? That, that stone which had been rolled in front of the opening of the tomb to seal the tomb. A stone which could weigh as much as several tons. They realized as they were walking to it, how are we going to get that stone rolled away? But in this passage from, from Matthew in verse 2 of chapter 28, when the women get to the, to the tomb, they no longer needed to worry about that. Because what do we read in this portion of God's word? 
that the stone in front of the tomb of Jesus had already been rolled away. And not only that, but there was even an angel sitting on top of it. And here's the point that Tim and Kathy Keller made in this article, in this video that I watched, that I so appreciate. And it's this. Jesus didn't need for that stone to be rolled away for him. Jesus didn't wait for the stone to be rolled away by an earthquake or by an angel. John 20 verse 19 tells us that the resurrected Jesus, although he had a real physical body, he was a real physical being, still the resurrected Jesus could pass through locked doors. Jesus didn't need to wait for the stone to be rolled away in order for him to leave the tomb. He he didn't need to wait for that to be released to the tomb. You see, and this is what the Kellers pointed out, the stone being rolled away from the front of the tomb, that wasn't so that Jesus could get out. But friends, that was so the women could see in. The stone was was rolled away to let the women see for themselves. It was so that they could verify for themselves what the angel had told them. That Jesus was no longer there. That he was raised from the dead. And that he was already on his way to Galilee. What do you think? If the stone wasn't rolled away, if that several ton stone was still in front of the tomb and they couldn't get in, they couldn't see, would those women have believed the words of that angel? Maybe. Angels do have a habit of being quite persuasive. But would others have believed? Without the open, visible, empty tomb, the resurrection wouldn't have been verifiable. And that the tomb of Jesus was empty seemed to rather quickly become common knowledge. If you have your Bibles open, look at what Matthew tells us next, beginning in verse 11. Matthew writes, while the women were going to Galilee, some of the guards, the guards who were there in front of that tomb when the angels came, when the stone was rolled away, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, meaning Pilate, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the, sh- the soldiers took the money and did as they were directed. And look at what Matthew says next. And this story has been spread among the Jews even to this day. It was common knowledge that the tomb of Jesus was empty. It's verifiable. 
But an empty tomb in and of itself doesn't prove that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. It just proves that he's not there in that place. To prove that he was resurrected from the dead, we would need more evidence. And Matthew provides that evidence. Scripture provides that evidence. Verse 5, look at verse 5 of this passage. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Then the women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran to tell his disciples. And behold, while they were on their way, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers, uh, go to Galilee, tell my brothers to go there. And there they will see me. Matthew gives eyewitness testimony that Jesus appeared to these women. And remember who's writing these words. It's Matthew. It's Levi, one of the 12 disciples. Scripture tells us that Jesus appeared to each of the disciples. Matthew, the other disciples then, would have spent much of the next 40 days with the resurrected Christ prior to his ascension into heaven. Each of the four gospel accounts give eyewitness testimony of the truthfulness and the factualness of these things. If you still have your Bibles open, flip over to the right, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 961. 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives testimony of how the risen Christ did not just appear to these women. He did not just appear to the 12 disciples. But he actually appeared to hundreds of people. In 1 Corinthians 15, um, and Paul's writing these words about 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. And 20 years really isn't that long ago, right? Think back 20 years in your own life and how quickly that time flies and how well you can remember with precision what did or did not happen. So just 20 years or so after the resurrection of Christ, Paul writes beginning in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, meaning some have died. Paul goes on, Then he appeared to James, the brother of Christ, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one ultimately born, he also appeared to me. 
in the time in which the New Testament was being recorded, there were still hundreds of people alive who had themselves personally seen the resurrected Jesus. We can trust their testimony. We can trust the evidence. And others are named in Scripture as well, named personally. Joanna, Salome, at least one other Mary in addition to Mary Magdalene. In Luke 24, Luke gives the story of how Christ appeared to two men on the day of his resurrection as they were traveling to a place called Emmaus. And Luke names one of those men, Cleopas. Two respected men who served on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. A man named Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. The Gospels named them as being secret followers of Jesus. They would have been very well known and, and most likely, I would think, may have seen the resurrected Christ and could have given testimony to his resurrection. Why else can we trust that the disciples saw a resurrected Jesus? Would well, just think of the change in their lives. Christ's disciples ran from him that night that he was arrested and they hid in locked rooms Scripture says in those first days following Christ's death prior to his resurrection. Peter wilted in front of a young slave girl, denying that he ever even knew Jesus, much less that he was one of the twelve disciples. But just 50 days after Christ's resurrection, Peter will boldly proclaim on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem to thousands of people, And among other things in that message, Peter includes, and again, this is just 50 days after Christ's resurrection, just 10 days after Christ's ascension into heaven. Peter speaking, this one who wilted in front of this young slave girl, saying, I don't know Jesus, what are you talking about? I'm not one of his followers. But just 50 days later, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will say to thousands of people gathered there, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This Jesus, God raised him up. And then just a few days later in the temple, after healing a crippled man in the name of Jesus, Peter again boldly proclaimed, but you denied the Holy One, the Just One, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are all witnesses. The next day, after Peter and John had been arrested for healing that man in the name of Jesus, Peter and John went before the council of the Sanhedrin where the Jewish leaders tried to silence them, forbidding them to proclaim the name of Jesus. And that next day, Peter declared, this man that you see healed stands before you because he was named, he was healed in the name of Jesus whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Then Luke concludes that passage saying, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus. But Peter wasn't the only one whose life was turned upside down by seeing the resurrected Jesus. 
In that passage from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul speaks of the many people who saw the resurrected Christ, he makes a reference of James. This is one of Jesus' brothers. And James wasn't a follower of Christ prior to Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. And in fact, he and his other brothers once tried to get Jesus to stop talking about all this Messiah stuff. I mean, come on, do any of you have a brother? How difficult would it be for you to believe that your brother was God? So we can have some sympathy for James. Prior to the resurrection, James thought that Jesus was crazy. And he refused to accept Christ's claims. But after his resurrection, Christ appeared to James in his glory. And James recognized him for who he was. Not just his brother, but God himself. And James received him. James submitted to him. James knelt down before him as Christ being his Lord and Savior. And then James became one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church, a church dedicated to a risen Jesus. There are so many other evidences. One does not have to entrust himself or herself to an immature, childish, blind faith. The the evidence of the resurrected Jesus is overwhelming and it's sufficient. Entrust yourself, friends, to this faith, to this Christian faith, to a faith that's based in history, to a faith that's based in fact. In conclusion, I just want to commend some resources to you. We have out on the table in the Northex this book, um, The Case for Easter. I commend this to you, a very quick, easy read that speaks of some of these things. The author, Lee Strobel, also has some other books, a great many books, some of which include a book called The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith. We've got just a couple of those sitting on the Northex table. Feel free to grab one of those. If they're out, let me know. We'd be happy to get others in your hand. Um, I also want to commend to you, if you want to jot this down, or I'd be happy to to talk to you about it. I may even have a copy of it with me today. An article on a website, a website called Answers in Genesis, a wonderful article called Biblical and Extra-Biblical Evidences of the Resurrection. And there are a great many other wonderful resources. And if you have any questions about this, if you'd ever like to talk about this or any other matter of the Christian faith, I would be happy and would count it an honor to have that conversation with you. Friends, believe in the resurrected Jesus. Be willing to entrust your life to the resurrected Jesus. Ask the Lord to change your life because He lives. Ask Him to change your life in a way in which He changed the life of some of these apostles, including Paul himself once a great persecutor of the church, who then became a great proclaimer of the biblical truth, that Christ is risen. He is risen from the dead. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for your word.
Your word which endures, your word which has endured for thousands of years against all doubts, against all attacks, because it is true. Because you are true. Because you are powerful. Because there are certain undeniable things that we cannot escape. Lord God, we cannot believe this if you do not open our eyes to see you as being the resurrected Jesus. Lord God, be pleased to do that for us. Open our eyes in a first saving way for any who may need for you to do that. And then, Lord, open our eyes on a continual daily basis so that we might see you as being high and exalted, enthroned, sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Lord God, show yourself, prove yourself all over again. Be sufficient, show ample evidence of the truth of every one of the claims of Scripture, Lord, we pray. And and then be pleased to even use us to help share those truths with a world that is dying to hear them. We love you, we praise you, and we give thanks that you are risen. You are risen indeed. Amen.